I want to tell you tonight about someone named Johnson Oatman, Jr. 1856 to 1922. He was born in New Jersey. And here's the story. He was so inspired by his father, whose name was also Johnson Oatman, that he always wanted to walk in his footsteps and grow up to be the man that his father was. He always sat beside his father in church on Sunday. And when the congregation would stand to sing a song, the small boy stood on the pew and looked at the same songbook that his father was using. You know, I don't guess there's any bigger hero to a child than his or her parent, and often his or her parent of the same sex. And that certainly seems to be the case here. As he grew into manhood, Johnson, his heart's desire was to contribute something to the faith of his father. He was 36 years old when he found his talent, and he took up his pen and began to write hymns. He wrote approximately 200 hymns and gospel songs a year, 5,000 during the course of his lifetime, including, I'm pressing on the upward way. There's not a friend like when I walk in the pathway of duty, the last mile of the way. Sweeter than all. You know, Christ will meet it. How does it go? Eight of four, never to fall, never to fall. While I find my <clears throat> sweeter than all, sweeter than all. Yes. And count your blessings is the other one. He wanted in that last song, count your blessings. His goal was to convey to young people the lesson that it's impossible to be thankful and at the same time be grumpy, cantankerous, critical, or ill-tempered. It was Martin Luther who once said, the greater God's gifts and works, the less they are regarded. See the truth of that? We tend to show gratitude and be thankful for things in reverse proportion to how many blessings we receive. The more blessings we receive, the less inclined we are to be grateful. But the fewer blessings, the more inclined we are to be grateful. It reminds me of a friend that goes over and does mission work, and every time she comes back, she says, we are so blessed in this country. She goes to Malawi, and, and they have so little. And you obviously know people in places that the same thing could be said. A hungry man is more thankful for his morsel than a rich man for his heavy laden table. A lonely woman in a nursing home will appreciate a visit more than a popular woman with a party thrown in her honor. Think about this. If the birds only burst into song once a year, we'd all pay, pay close attention. But because they are singing every morning, we scarcely bother to listen. I'm sharing all of these ideas in relation to this song, Count Your Blessings. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Let's notice what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. What about Philippians 4, verse 8? Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, what kinds of things we need to be thinking about. Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. He wanted to convey the idea that it is impossible to be grateful and to be cantankerous at the same time. It's a great way to lift ourselves out of depression, too. So... Why don't we sing Count Your Blessings, written by Johnson Oatman, uh, and he wrote the lyrics to this specifically.
So let's see, we want pitches. Bass, tenor, baritone, soprano. Here we go. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. Are you ever burdened with the load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly. And you will be singing as the days go by. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. When you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you your wealth untold. Count your many blessings money cannot buy, your reward in heaven or your home on high. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged, God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. Are you able to sing these songs that we sing so often and so frequently and still think about the meaning behind the words? Sometimes that's a real challenge, and if time permits tonight, I want us to talk about that, that challenge. How do we continue to sing songs that have such wonderful meaning, but we know them so well? How can we continue to keep them fresh? Last week I mentioned a book called Our Garden of Song that specifically contained stories of hymn writers in the churches of Christ. And I forgot to mention one of the most important ones of all. There's the book. But guess who's in the book? Does anyone recognize that fella? If that's you, raise your paw. There he is. 
That's our own Larry Bills. And, and in this chapter, or the, there are two pages devoted to him, as there are many of them. But it gives a biographical sketch of his life at that point. This book was written in 1980. It had a list of the groups that he had performed with as a vocalist, where he was currently working at the time at Northeastern Christian College in, is it Villanova, Pennsylvania? And then uh, his address at the time. So I'm curious to know, to ask you, do you remember when they contacted you about being a part of this book? He really does not. I remember it happened, but I don't remember exactly yeah. the Well, whoever put that book together had quite a job because that book is significantly thick. One interesting point. I've only written one hymn. <laughs> he says he's only written one hymn, the interesting point. But, you know, they include others in there, not for their songwriting as, as much as there may be their musicianship in the church. Uh, but you've written more since then, right? Well, you've certainly written other things. I've heard and seen some of them. Well, I, I couldn't resist bringing that back up. There is an article in this book that I want to share with you tonight. It's, uh, and that's another thing that's in the book, are occasional articles about the value of music. And uh, one of them in particular, it's not very long, but it's good. It's called The Importance of Singing in the Worship Services of the Church. Yes, sir? Uh, not in print, I don't think, but you probably can find it on Amazon. Someone has loaned it to me. Yeah. Stephen Foster, our band director. Yeah. The importance of singing in the worship services of the church. Very short article, but listen to it. Singing is important because it is a command of the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all, all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Singing is a way of praising God for His wonderful goodness He has given to us and is giving to us each day. It is good for us to study music and God's Word so that we can be prepared to sing with the Spirit and with the understanding. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15. So we should know that the songs we sing are scriptural and fitting for the period of the worship service. Then the article makes three points. Through singing, we can, number one, Encourage one another to be faithful and watchful so that we can't, won't be overtaken by the evil one, by Satan. Secondly, through singing, we can encourage others to obey the Lord and become a Christian and spend the rest of their lives in the service of the Lord. And thirdly, through singing, we can lead others to Jesus. And then the article concludes by saying, regardless of how well the preaching or teaching is, the results will not be the same if we do not have good singing. Fanny Crosby, her real name was Frances Jane Crosby, is often considered, and someone told me a year or two ago that she was a part of the Churches of Christ. My studies indicate that she was not, and I'm not exactly sure why that sometimes is, is confusing to people, but I want to tell you about her. You can tell by the picture that she was blind. She wrote so many of the hymns, more than 9,000, one source said. Some of them are still among the most popular in every Christian church today. She wrote so many hymns that she started having to use pen names so that the hymnals would not be filled with her name more than other people. But for most people, the most remarkable thing about her was that she had done all of this writing and musical work in spite of her blindness. Somebody once said to her, I think it's a great pity that the Lord didn't give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you, a preacher said. 
And she responded at once because she was used to hearing comments like this. And she said, do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I would be born blind? She had only been able to see for the first six weeks of her life. And then she gave the reason why she felt that way. She said, because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. That was her perspective. She was born in New York, Putnam County, became ill within two months. Now guess what happened that caused her to become blind? Unfortunately, the family doctor was away, and another man who was pretending to be a certified doctor treated her by prescribing hot mustard poultices to be applied to her eyes. Her illness eventually relented, but the treatment left her blind. When that doctor was revealed to be a quack, he disappeared. A few months later, Crosby's father died. Her mother was forced to find work as a maid to support the family, and Fanny was mostly raised by her Christian grandmother. Well, her love of poetry began early. When she was only eight years old, she wrote her first verse. And that first verse she wrote echoed her refusal to feel sorry for herself. Here's what she wrote. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. Now, she's eight years old. I am resolved that in this world, contented, I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. While she enjoyed her poetry, she zealously memorized the Bible. Memorizing five chapters a week, even as a child, she could recite the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the Gospels, Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, and many Psalms, chapter and verse. Well, shortly before her 15th birthday, she was sent to the New York Institute for the Blind, and that was her home for the next 23 years, 12 of them as a student, and the next 11 as a teacher. She came to view her blindness as a gift from God. And this is a quote. It was the best thing that could have happened to me, she said. How in the world could I have lived such a helpful life had I not been blind? Don't blame that doctor, she said on another occasion. He's probably dead by this time, but if I could meet him, I would tell him that he unwittingly did me the greatest favor in the world. Here's a few of her songs. Blessed assurance, all the way my Savior leads me, leads me to God be the glory. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, safe in the arms of Jesus. Rescue the perishing, and Jesus keep me near the cross. Just a few. I want to tell you the story behind the one called All the Way My Savior Leads Me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender blessing who through life has been my guide? That song encompassed her lifelong testimony, no doubt, but it came about because of a very specific incident that happened to her. One day in 1874, she didn't have enough money to pay her rent. Just as she committed the matter to God in prayer, a stranger appeared at her door and pressed a $10 bill in her hand before disappearing. That was the very amount needed. And that night she wrote the words, To all the way my Savior leads me. Let's sing it together. Bass, tenor, alto, soprano. All the way my Savior leads me, whatever I do, has to be 
wrote the music to many of her hymns. She herself put music to only a few of hers. She focused mostly on the, the, the lyrics. More often, musicians came to her for lyrics. For example, one day, musician William Doan dropped by her home for a surprise visit, begging her to put some words to a tune he had recently written and which he was to perform at an upcoming Sunday school convention. The only problem was that his train to the convention was leaving in 35 minutes. So he sat down at the piano and played the tune. And Crosby said, your music says, safe in the arms of Jesus. She said, scribbling out the hymn's words immediately. Read it on the train and hurry. You don't want to be late. And of course, that hymn became one of Crosby's most famous. It was played at President Ulysses S. Grant's funeral in 1885. And let's sing it together now. It's number 559 if you are using a book. Mm, bass, tenor, and alto, soprano. Safe in the arms of Jesus. Only 
complex hymns and compose music with a more classical structure. She could even improvise music. But she always preferred to write simple, sentimental verses that could be used for evangelism. She continued to write poetry until her death, just a month shy of her 95th birthday. Her last stanza she wrote said this, You will reach the river brink some sweet day by and by. She's buried at Mountain Grove Cemetery in Fairfield County, Connecticut. That tall monument is not her her tombstone, but it's the small one right in front of it there. And here's a close-up version of that or a picture of that. It says, Aunt Fanny across the top. She hath done what she could across the front. And then Fanny J. Crosby beneath it. The third picture appears to be at her, the footstone. One is at the head and one is at the foot. And this it says, in loving and grateful memory of Fanny J. Crosby, who inspired and edified Christians all over the world by the writing of more than 3,000 hymns and poems. So there's conflicting information. I saw, I think, 9,000 somewhere, and this just said 3,000. The words to blessed assurance, part of those lyrics are also inscribed there. And at the bottom it says, erected by friends to whom her life was an inspiration. If you're interested in knowing more about her, many biographies have been written. Here's one. Her heart can see the life and hymns of Fanny J. Crosby. Let's move now into some talk about music fundamentals for a few minutes and review what we've done and add a little bit more to. Nothing overwhelming, but what do we call those five lines on which we write music? A musical staff, S-T-A-F-F. And then we have two staves for hymn singing. The top staff has what symbol at the beginning of it? Treble clef, T-R-E-B-L-E, treble clef. The bottom staff is bass clef, that's right. The women sing the notes on the treble clef staff, the men sing the notes on the bass clef staff. Notes are always going to be written, regardless of whether it's in the treble clef or the bass clef, they're always going to be written either on the line where a line runs through them, we call them line notes, or they're going to be written in spaces. Now, that, that is a space note, but if you don't understand why, that's okay. Just focus on these sitting in between the lines there. And we've pointed out that as notes go up on the page, on the staff, the sound of them goes up too. Well, all notes have letter names. This is an E, this is a G, this is a B, this is an A, this is an E. And I want to talk about that briefly tonight. It's the music alphabet. All notes in music are going to be one of the first seven letters. You're never going to have a note called H or I. Just A, B, C, D, E, F, or G. Tonight I want to just talk about how to read the notes in the treble clef, the ladies clef. And I want to teach you a a simple way, I think, the simplest I've ever heard, to do it. We'll talk about bass clef another time, perhaps next week. So... Think about the treble clef as the people clef. Now, what I mean is, I'm going to give you some acronyms to help you see. I mean, you can see that spells the word face right there. I'm going to give you a sentence here in just a second that many of you have heard. But if you can just remember that the treble clef, think of the people. It's the people clef because the acronyms have to do with people. Face, a person's face, and then every good, you say it, every good good boy does fine. Now, if you can remember those two things, and how do you keep straight which is which? Face rhymes with space. So the spaces are F-A-C-E. The word fine in this sentence rhymes with line. Every good boy does fine. 
That's how you learn the names of the notes. So why don't we practice a few? Would you name these notes, please, as I point to them? What's this one? F, because it's a space, so we're using face. F, then A, C, A, F. Line notes, line rhymes with fine, every good boy does fine. Name these notes. E, D, F. That's a little harder, isn't it? Now suppose I point to a random note. Would you name it as you see it? What about this one? B, B, for every good boy. What about this one? F, every good boy does fine, F. What about this one? G, every good. Now let's jump up here. C, F, A, C, and then what is this one? E, F, A, perfect. Now here's what I want you to see. When you write the notes in order, notice they go from line to space, to line, to space, to line, space, to line, space. They alternate. Do you see the pattern that's created right here? Start right there. A, B, C, D, E, F. Now let's find the F over here, F, and then G. And then it just starts repeating. So if these notes continue, the next one right there would be what? G. What would be the one sitting right below that line? D. That's it. That's why knowing the music alphabet is important. And that hopefully will help you be able to identify them. Now, let's look at this. Let's put it into practice. Let's talk just about the treble clef, obviously. That's the notes we're doing. But I'd like us to name uh, the, the soprano notes only right now. So the first one is C, because it's F-A-C. Then E, D, every good boy does, and then C. Now you can notice too when they walk down from space to line and they go in order, you can just think about the alphabet. All right, what's this? D, C, A, G. Now let's, I know this is new for some, and it is truly like learning a language, but that's the simplest way I've ever heard it put. Treble clef, people clef. You want to guess what the bass clef is going to be? It's the animal clef. So hold on, I'll talk about that another night. All right, let's do the alto notes real quick, right here. What is that one? E, every good boy is fine. G, F, that's in the space, F-A-C-E, and here? E, F, A, F, E. Now, if you understand some of that, you're learning to read music. And if you've never heard that before, I understand. I mean, it's, it can be like Greek. But that's the basic idea behind it. Now, how does this help us? Well, if you're leading singing, men, and you can see the picture up there, the pitch pipe has letter names around it. I'll talk about those other symbols between another time. But if you know how to find the starting note of the song, and what did we say that one was? Remember when you lead singing, we all, all the men sing the soprano part because that's the melody. If you know the name of that note, then you know what pitch to blow on your pitch pipe. Sing that note. And there's our starting pitch. That's why it's good to know the names of the notes. That's one reason it's good to know them. All right. Good point. Every one of these letters has their own sound. If we were at a piano, 
I would tell you that every note there is only one place on that piano. And when you go on down to the bass clef, only one spot. You have many E's along the way, and many F's, but regarding where it is on that staff, it's only going to have one sound. Very good question. Anything else? All right. Last week, we started working on a new song called He is Exalted. I thought it would be good to run back through this again. So let's try it. Bass, tenor, alto, soprano. What do you sing? He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise Him. He is exalted forever, exalted, and I will praise His the basses and the tenors. Let's go back again. Bass, tenor. Oh, I never thought of it that way. Right, you're, you're saying animal. Yeah. No, no. So bass, tenor, ready and go. He is exalted, the king is exalted on high. Oh, praise him. He is exalted forever, exalted and I will praise his name. Yeah. 
Let's talk about a songwriter within the churches of Christ before we wrap up tonight. Will Thompson. Also from this, our Garden of Songbook. He was born in East Liverpool, Ohio on November 7th, 1849. Started composing music in his teens. He was both a lyricist and a composer, so he did both sides of it. But he ensured that he would always remember words or melodies that came to him at odd times. He once said, no matter where I am, at home or in a hotel, at the store or traveling, if an idea comes to me or a theme that I deem worthy of a song, I write it down in verse. That way I never lose it. He received his musical education in Boston, at the Boston Music School and the New England Conservatory of Music. He's listed by several authorities as being a singer of the Restoration Movement, and he did additional music study in Germany. He was always known as a kind, quiet, and unassuming Christian gentleman, greatly loved and admired by his associates. He was also known for his travels by horse and buggy from one small community to another throughout Ohio, singing his songs to people everywhere. There are a few of his songs, softly and tenderly. Jesus is all the world to me. Lead me gently home, Father, and there's a great day coming. Let me tell you about softly and tenderly. Thompson was a personal friend of the evangelist Dwight L. Moody. Many of you remember that name. When Moody was seriously ill and visitors were not allowed, Will Thompson paid him a visit. And when Moody learned that Thompson was there, he demanded that he be admitted to the room. Well, when Will came in, Moody feebly, feebly whispered, Will, I would rather have written softly and tenderly Jesus' calling than anything I have been able to do in my whole life. Moody died shortly afterward, and some sources say that he was singing or humming the, the words, or I guess singing the words of that hymn. Well, Thompson became ill at the end of his life during a tour of Europe. And so his family cut short their travels to return home. He died just a few weeks later in New York City on September 20th, uh, 1090, the year 1090. He's buried in Riverview Cemetery in East Liverpool, Ohio, softly and tenderly sung at the memorial service for American civil rights leader Martin Luther King on April the 8th, 1968 at the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Let's sing it together as we close. Bass, tenor, bass, some altos, softly and tenderly.
reconcile us and that no sin we ever commit in our lives surpasses your ability to forgive us. We thank you for the beautiful hymn that we've been singing just now and those that have come before, and we thank you for the life of those who have given them to us. We pray your blessing us as we leave this place in your service until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.